Hey guys, welcome back to the Prehistoric Life Podcast. And today we're interviewing Jason from the Fossil Fiend. Am I pronouncing that right? That's right. Here's his Instagram page for any of y'all who's interested in following him. So, so I mean, let's get the obvious question out of the way. Everybody's probably wondering, what's your favorite dinosaur? <laughs> Uh, my favorite dinosaur would be the Parasaurolophus. Parasaurolophus. That's, I've got one of their skulls right here. I mean, we've been doing the, uh, Hydrosaur oh, month. Awesome. This month. Yeah. I, I saw it. I've been listening to your podcast. Yeah. Been talking about all the cool different Hydrosaurs and trying to figure out how they, um, sounded and just talking about them. So. I guess you said you came back from a dig last week. Yes. Uh, my son and I were in South Dakota, uh, South Dakota, uh, digging in the Hell Creek formation there on the uh, western and northwestern sides of the state. So <laughs> I guess you got a lot of fun stories from that. I mean, that's not something I guess. Oh, Yeah. I guess you get to do that often, but it's not something that everybody really gets to do. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, we've been doing that since two thousand nine. Uh, we go up and we work. We work with a paleontologist named Walter Stein. He has a company out of Belfouche, South Dakota, that's called Paleo Adventures. And what he does is uh, he he takes guests out and they can dig in his in his quarries and. Uh, actually see what it's like to uh, be a paleontologist for a day. That That's actually really cool. I'll try to reach out to him or something. Oh, that yeah. Sounds very interesting. So. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I guess, um, what, what kind of tools do you use whenever you're doing that? I mean. Uh, the, the most common tools that you'll use is an X-Acto knife and a paintbrush. As. You gotta get the dirt off, and you have to. I guess you have to use the exacto knife to. Yeah, cut you you just you you just use the exacto knife just to break and lift uh, small little sections of the matrix, and you break up a little bit of it, and then you brush it away and see if anything's exposed, and you just keep working your way. the The rock there is a really really soft uh, rock. It's called a mudstone. It, when it gets wet, it, it's actually like almost muddy so i guess that we uh do you like wetten it first and then try to take some of the layers off like that no it's better when it's dry really yeah because uh i guess if it's muddy it'll stick to the bone yeah when, when it's wet it wants to stick to everything including the fossil when, when it's dry it'll actually uh pop away from the the surface of the fossil pretty easily so if once you break the layer or if you're brushing, it'll brush and expose the fossil pretty easily. And, but if it's wet, it just, it just wants to stick to everything. And then you really can't, you can't see stuff near as well. I mean, yeah, I guess it would, is it kind of like a paste where it would kind of just stick the thing where it's like glueish? No, it, it's not, it's not that bad, but it's, it, it's, it's not, 
it's just noticeable. It it's just kind of a, it leaves a muddy, sandy film on everything that doesn't brush away. So it makes it a lot harder to see the small details of stuff or notice small fossils like teeth and things like that. So what kind of dinosaurs did y'all find or animals or creatures? Of it, the it, it is uh, mostly uh, dinosaurs. There's, there's a few mammals, some fish, some turtles, but it's mostly dinosaurs. Uh, the Edmontosaurus and Nectans is the most common find up there. Probably that in Triceratops. But uh, the quarry he works uh, in most is called the Tooth Draw Quarry, and it, it has an insane amount of Tyrannosaur teeth. It, it's like when you, if you look at a quarry map, because he, he logs the locations of everything, and he'll, he periodically updates a quarry map showing the locations of exactly where everything is. And uh, he's pulled thousands of teeth out of a area that he's moved back probably i don't know maybe 50 feet it, it's all people find t-rex teeth almost every day there that's yeah i guess there was some kind of t-rex convention going on there it was probably a large feeding area yeah, a where of, a lot of them came and fed and that lost teeth well there's a lot of uh edmontosaurus for those of you who didn't watch that episode that's what Edmontosaurus looks like. If if there were like a lot of large animals like that, like Triceratops here, you would probably have a lot of larger carnivores that would hunt them. So I guess yeah, they would all crowd to one area if there were a large group of them. Yeah. So, I mean, do they vary? Is it like a large range, or is it like? oddly one size of tooth no it, it's it's a full range the full range so. uh, yeah there's there's everything from actual uh like you would call a baby t-rex teeth have been found uh all the way up to like massive full-size adult uh incisors like the the murder bananas that they call them the murder bananas and for and for those of you who do not know what a T-Rex looks like for some reason, that's a rough <laughs> look of what one looks like. It's a good Tyrannosaurid. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, there's the whole debate about if they're feathered or not. Did you see any, like, up close, like, any form of, like, featherage or quill or something that you can definitely tell in the imprint of, like, the rock? No, the the formation here where they were deposited was a uh, river channel. And so there's most of what is there is they had died on the shore and they had already begun to decompose before the bones got washed in. So there's there's no skin impressions or anything left in in this area that we're working. Oh, uh, yeah, that would probably defeat that. And I don't know if you watched it, but we talked to the fossil crates people and we talked a lot about dinosaur lips is there any like way to tell on the fossil what that would like look like well i guess that would also be skin impression wouldn't it well i from what i have read is that uh they're like if you have lips that there's actual like connective tissue that's identifiable on the bone and i think i've read that 
they have seen that in tyrannosaurs. Now, the extent of the lips, I don't know. If they were like complete, full, that covered all the teeth, or maybe covered half the teeth and the, the bigger ones were still kind of sticking out, I, I think that's pure guesswork right now. Until they find one with skin impressions of a complete skull, we'll, we're just guessing. So, I guess... Yeah, I guess that would be kind of hard because it does leave like that rough tension, I guess would be the word to like on the upper jaw, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I think there's some kind of marks on the bone when you have that structure. So you said you saw a lot of triceratops. Of course, yeah. they have the famous three horns. Uh, how big were like the horns, would you say, in comparison to the actual animal itself? Oh, uh, that, that's pretty. I think it depends on the size or the age of it. It also depends a lot on the exact species. There's quite a few different species of Triceratops, but a lot of the a lot of the horns, you know, they could easily be two to three foot long. So that and yeah, that's pretty big. Yeah, and I I was reading something where uh the, th the horns could have actually been thicker because that could have been just like the root of the horn and like stuff would have grown around it right well what we find of their horns are uh, it's a horn core yeah it's it's kind of, kind of like when you see a cow skull there's a horn core and then there's a keratin sheath that is the actual yeah. external horn so they know from the shape of the horn core, the the texturing of it, that they definitely had a keratin sheath over it. And, but I don't think any impressions have been found so far that shows exactly how much larger the sheath was compared to the uh, bone core. So, I mean, it, they the sheath could have been like five to eight feet long for all we know. Yeah, the... Some animals I've heard have a sheet, uh, a keratin sheet that's double the size of the core. And I think like, you know, 15, 20% is probably more common. But, you know, if you got a three foot horn core, it's within the realm of possibility that it could have been a six foot long horn. So do you think that could also vary on like the species of ceratopsian? ceratopsian? Oh, I, I'm sure. I'm sure it did. So, like, something like Triceratops, where maybe it grows out, versus something like Styracosaurus, where it grows up. Do you think that could yeah. have some kind of effect? Probably. Because I feel like growing it up would be easier than out. So, maybe that would have some kind of effect. And I guess in light of, in light of Hadrosaur Month, and you were talking about the... um. Edmontosaurus, what were their remains looking like? Uh, uh, well, most of all, most of the items we find, you know, they're they're disarticulated. You don't full skeletons aren't super common, uh, but there's a lot of disarticulated bones. Uh, as far as what they look like, or how exactly are you asking, like shape or size or? 
Well, I mean, like size, maybe how they died, maybe if you can tell that. Oh no, that's that's usually pretty hard to tell unless you can find like something diagnostic. Like if you find a major bone with bite marks on it, you can tell by looking at that if they started to heal or not. So if they have bite marks that did not heal, they most likely died of that wound or, you know, associated wounds. If, or if there's healing on it, then that means they got away and they survived. So you can, you can kind of tell a little bit so that way. Like, but so uh, like kind of like how deep the bone or uh, the like bite wound is on the bone, maybe. Well, if when bone heals, it, it gets kind of frothy and spongy looking. It'll form a callus around the wound. And so when they, you can, they can look at the bone and see if it has healed uh, damage like that. And then I guess if you find like a bone completely shattered, then it's like, okay, well they died from this wound. Yeah. That'd be pretty, pretty easy to guess that they died from that. So, you were in the Hell Creek's uh, Hell's Creek formation. Is that like dried up now, and it was a creek in prehistoric times? Yes. Um, what the Hell the Hell Creek got its name from an actual creek that I I think is Wyoming. I can't remember if it's Wyoming or Montana. I think it's it's in Wyoming. Um, but what it was sixty six million years ago was a river uh, kind of a swampy braided river delta it's a lot like what you would see if you go to the carolina coast or uh, georgia or louisiana so it's kind of like a lot of it is like that it's small medium river channels a lot of swamps uh the river channels move back and forth a lot so you have a lot of layers but now now it's, it's all sand yeah a lot of flooding too do you think that also like affected locations of bones? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it did. The, the tooth draw quarry that uh, Walter works primarily in is he believes that it's uh, trying to think exactly the term he uses. Basically when river channels change course, uh, they can cut off and leave old segments behind. Behind, they and they get called. Those are called an oxbow lake, and a big flood came and washed out one of the blocking walls from the river to an oxbow lake, and flooded that with all the this material, all the bones and everything that were washing down in the flood, broke that wall and pushed all that into that oxbow lake. So yeah, flooding definitely had a huge impact on uh, fossil deposits. So, I guess the fossils would, would like you'd get like a weird conglomerate of just fossils in general, and it would be hard to like you have yes. to sit there for like hours, I guess, just breaking them apart, trying to figure out which dinosaur they belong to. Well, they're they're not really conglomerates, but they're they're definitely jumbled together. Like, because you can find a T Rex bone next to a hadrosaur bone with uh, uh, you know, teeth of uh, something else mixed in with turtle bits of turtle and crocodile and fish scales. It's all just kind of, it's 
jumbled together, but it's not like a concretion where it's in a mass together, if you know what I'm saying. I get what you mean. So, uh, basically, kind of, um, they were just kind of just stacked on top of each other, just over. Yeah, just kind of, just all tumbled together, and all they kind of pile up in some areas and thin out in other areas. Yeah, like um, I don't know if you've ever been, but in Utah they have Dinosaur National Park, and it's just like they have this wall of just fossils that were just stacked on top of each other. Yes, kind of, kind of like it's that. an amazing place. Well, uh, yeah, that is probably yeah. something as uh, similar to that. I, I think they what what you see there is they weren't really stacked on top of each other. The the bedding plane has been elevated through uh, geologic activity. That was originally flat, and they were all laid down on the same bed. And then through time, that's got lifted up. Raised and so up. Now, now it's just a big 45-degree wall filled with bones. Fossils and... I mean, I mean, from what it sounds like, I mean you travel a lot and you dig up a lot of dinosaur bones and you go on these digs. So, well, what is your just craziest story from one of these digs? That's like one of your biggest finds, something crazy happened. Well, I don't know. Probably the craziest thing was either our first or second year with, with Walter. And uh, he, his operation was only a few years old then. And he didn't have all the quarries set up that he does now. Uh, he he had the tooth draw quarry that was that's always been his main site. And so we had dug there with him in the morning, and in the afternoon he would take guests out walking the badlands. You know, to go out. You know, you can see what stuff looks like as it's eroding out. You know, kind of learn what it looks like as you actually find it in the wild, not when you're just uncovering it from the ground. So we're walking and he takes us down this uh, water erosional channel. That's probably only, I don't know, maybe eight foot wide, you know, just a couple, you can walk a couple people down it and we're walking down. He's behind me and my son and there's something sticking out of the wall. Yeah, but it it's covered in in the sandy mud from from the rain. At the time, didn't didn't dawn on me that something poking out of the wall should trigger your your investigation. You should go, hey, what is that? That might be a fossil. <laughs> so yeah. uh, you know, we just walked past. But Walter, yeah, that might be a fossil. <laughs> so we we walk Walked along, but Walter me. sees something that, that he sees it, and there's a piece that's broken up. Sorry, go ahead. I didn't say anything. You keep going. Oh, I'm sorry. So anyway, Walter sees it and he looks down below it and a piece had broken off. And he picks it up. And he's like, oh, where did you come from? Because he immediately recognizes the texture and the density and the size. And this is T-Rex. And so he starts, he starts cleaning off the protrusion and it is a end of a tibia of a t-rex sticking out of the wall he's like oh i'm gonna have to come back and excavate and 
tear this wall back and see see if there's more of this in here. So and he does he goes back later in the year and he takes that out and he he names this T-Rex from this one piece of leg, he names it Leonard, because that is the name of the property owner who he leases from. So we were there for this first discovery of the first bit of Leonard. And but he didn't find anything else there. Just then a few years later, tibia. Walter sends us. Yeah, ju just about probably half of the tibia. Okay. And so a few years later, uh, Walter sent us back over there. We were digging with the with a group, and he's like, "Hey, go back over there to this site and do some digging. I want to see if this is worth opening up into a quarry." into a new quarry for guests. So we go over there and we start digging and we start finding stuff. And that became known as Toothdraw West. Now Toothdraw West is starting to give up a lot more of Leonard. He's now got two femurs and uh, some vertebra and some other bits. So the rest of Leonard is in there somewhere. It's just a matter of getting him exposed. So that, that's kind of the coolest thing that we were there for the first bit of the discovery of Leonard. And eventually it'll probably end up being a. Yeah. Eventually over time. So do you yeah. think. And then. Uh, oh, good. Do, do you think that like. As it was decomposing, other in the ground shifting, just other parts of Leonard were just like broken off and just moved to different parts of the rock. It it was probably in the in the river system. It may have even yeah. been dead on the shoreline or or in the water, and then the flood spread it out. Away. Yeah, but the those bones are big and they're heavy and. There's enough gonna... that's been found recently, I mean, in a fairly small space that uh, Walter feels that it's probably mostly there. So, I guess there have been very few prehistoric creatures where we've just found the entire thing. Oh, yeah, that's so, that's really rare for most, for most of them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do you think that, like part of the rock could like split the bone in half and then like you could find like a weird part where like half of the dinosaurs up top and the other half is like really far down. It could, if you had a, if you had a lot of geological shifting in a location that it could fault and separate it and one could be higher and one could be lower, or it could be that, Part of it has already started to erode and simply washed down to a lower elevation and then gotten recovered. That can happen too. So, I mean, I guess there are other, other like creatures that could have had like more fragile bones that just eroded away. Oh yeah. Uh, like especially the birds. Yeah, and the their their bones are super small. They're they're hollow. They're extremely fragile. Uh, any intact bone from from one of the birds at the time is extremely rare, just because they oh they are so fragile. And I guess smaller dinosaurs would also have the same problem. 
yes. smaller mammals. Yes. Uh, it's kind of a, it's called a preservational bias. You tend to find a lot of the big dinosaurs because their bones are large and strong and they survive a lot of weathering and, you know, water activity and the fossilization process where something really small, like the little bitty, uh, like the birds, the mammals, things like that, a lot of their bones were, didn't survive. So the smaller stuff is harder to find, but it can be way more scientifically important. So, I mean, the bones are just eroded, like parts of them are just like eroding away regardless. So do you think that the bones could have been like thicker and these dinosaurs that we think are already so big could be bigger? No, the, uh, cause when we find them, their bone structure, bone structure is the same then as it is now. Uh, so you, you can look at the outside of a bone and tell if it has been eroded or if it is still intact and the same as it would have been uh, in its life. And so they know that when they look at a bone, this is exactly how it was. There's no erosion. It hasn't lost anything during the process. So circling back to the Edmontosaur thing. So you have these hadrosaurs that make these odd music, this odd music with like their crests and their larynx and their vocal and like vocalization. Why do you think they evolved to be more vocal? I guess would be the word. It would probably be because they were largely a prey animal. You know, there was a lot of them and I think a lot of different things fed on them. And if you can be vocal, then you can give out warnings. They were, you know, they were, they traveled in herds. So if you have a big group, it's a lot easier for one to make a noise that can alert everybody that there's danger in the area. So if you didn't have the possibility of vocalization, you couldn't warn others. Because... Of course, now we know that all the dinosaurs don't sound like the Jurassic Park T-Rex. <laughs> we know that right. now, but and they're a lot more vocal. And even the T-Rex, as we know now, sounds a lot more different than the famous T-Rex roar from Jurassic Park. Yes. Where it's got that, I guess it would be like a deeper bellow, wouldn't it? Uh, I've heard it described that it would probably be similar to a very large crocodile. Yeah, yeah, almost a vibrational instead of a noise. So do you think there are were, were any dinosaurs that like roared like that? Uh, it would have to be in the realm of possibility. I'm sure oh. there that definitely could have been. I don't see why there wouldn't be. Yeah. And... I mean, I guess, like, velociraptors, we know that they're now, they hunt, we thought that they were pack hunters, but now they, now we know that they hunt more like wolves. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't, I don't, haven't studied that much up on velociraptors. I was reading somewhere that they might have hunted more like wolves, and there was, like, a possibility that they weren't really, like, fighting for big prey but they would more go off on their own and if they found big prey they would basically ask other velociraptors for help 
I don't see why it wouldn't be possible. I mean, basically, basically, any kind of animal behavior we see today was probably happened within some species back then as well. I mean, you look at like the evolutionary just difference between all these dinosaurs and it just makes you think like in in where in the evolutionary tree did like pachycephalosaurus get its dome from <laughs> like yeah versus why didn't it just get like a giant spike on its head I mean what or how did one become uh pachy and how did one become draco I mean yeah I mean where would that evolutionary like why would that evolutionary tree split? It's just so bizarre to think about. It is. There you know, there has there had to have been some kind of environmental pressure or opportunity that made that viable for the animal. But exactly what that was, you know, we really can only guess at. I mean, because isn't uh like Draco Rex smaller than Pachycephalosaurus? Um, the skulls I've seen were roughly the same size. So, I mean, they could have been the same size. I mean, I mean, they're about as big as like a human. So, well, almost. I, 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 yeah, I, I think. Yeah. yeah, that's also something bizarre that we always think that these dinosaurs are big, hulking creatures, but like. A lot of them are like as tall as a person. Yeah, a lot of them were a lot smaller than you know. There were obviously the giant ones, but there were also a lot of them that that weren't nearly that large. Like Ceratosaurus was about as big as like a full-grown man, so about as tall. I don't want to say as big. And. I mean, you have, like, the Krylophosaurus, where it was founded in Antarctica. My question yeah. is, like, what paleontologist was just like, I'm going to go dig in Antarctica and hope I find something. <laughs> I, I'm curious I, I, how that came about. It was probably exactly that. It's probably like, hey, there's rock there. Let's go see if there's any fossils in it. Because, I mean... We, we know that there wasn't really any, like, nomadic tribe there because they probably would have just freeze to death. But it it was – it totally – like, you think about it, it's totally within the realm of just reasonability that Antarctica had dinosaurs on it because, I mean, Pangaea was all just one giant continent. And when Antarctica broke away, it just moved south and just got cold. Yeah. And, uh, same thing with the uh, Alaskan T Rex. I mean, the I love trying to pronounce dinosaur names. The <laughs> Nanukosaurus. Oh, Nanook, Nanukosaurus. Nanukosaurus. Yeah, they named it after uh, one of the local uh, tribes, I believe. I mean. You think about it. I mean, these dinosaurs make sense to have, like, fur, like body fur. It would have, because they, they said it. It still would have been cold. It wouldn't be like so, freezing cold like it is now, but it would have still been a lot cooler. So, 
but like you look at something like Allosaurus in the deserts of Utah, where it would have been way hotter. Would there be some sort of different type of like subspecies of Allosaurus that had feathers versus one that maybe didn't? Uh, I suppose it's possible. Because also talking back to the um, fossil craze people, we were talking about sauropods. There's no way that they would have had feathers. There's no reason for them. There's no like bone evidence of them having one because they're already so big and carrying so much weight. They would just use that for heat, if anything. Yeah. But also something like a ceratopsian. I mean, would they really have had feathers? I mean... I'm pretty sure that they they have found skin impressions of from ceratopsians that... And they say they did not. They they had yeah. almost a uh, elephantine. It was kind of a rough, almost pebbly it's look like to it. It's not like yeah, a bird, not... but more like the small hairs on an elephant or a rhino. If they if they had anything, it would probably have been like that. Something very, very, very small. Also, it's really weird to think about is like the time between all of the different dinosaurs versus like modern. So you get like T-Rex is actually closer to what was it? The invention of the iPhone than it is the Stegosaurus. Yeah. And I got a uh, time chart that I refer to here usually pretty big it goes all the way to um what would this be the Cambrian period all the way up to like modern time yeah when you think about it you know if we go out in the badlands we can walk over T-Rex bones T-Rex were most likely walking on top of stegosaur bones. Stegosaurs were probably walking on top of, uh, uh, you know, Permian era bones. They so were very early, like Cambrian period bones. It's like, yeah, so crazy to think about that. Like these creatures like evolved from almost nothing really. Like, you think about it, like, you look at the evolutionary tree, you see, like, the small fish that gets out of the water, and you, you look at that, and you just think, how did that turn into a T-Rex? <laughs> it just yeah. doesn't seem like a long, long chain. And you also have, like, things like the last mammoths were around during the Egyptian Empire. Yeah. The height of the... It's, which is really funny, because thinking about that like like historical figures could like meet a mammoth there's like that possibility that somebody knew about that yeah also i mean you also i guess they would have other dinosaurs that would not necessarily hunt another species to extinction but would definitely like the species would evolve and I guess other dinosaurs would kill off the remains of the old species. Which I guess is why something like Stegosaurus didn't 
what wasn't around fighting T-Rex, but there were more, there were like stegosaur creatures around during the T-Rex time. Yeah. Yeah. The, the entire uh, evolutionary chain is still being studied and hotly debated in how things evolve and change into other things. I mean, it's all cause and effect if you really think about it. I mean, you get one big creature that dominates all over all over these other creatures. The other creatures are going to eventually adapt and change to be able to hide or fight or run from these other creatures. Yeah. It's like drawing parallels between like Ornithomimus and Parasaurolophus. I mean – there was probably the, like an evolutionary tree where they were both being hunted by big predators. Parasaurolophus decided to get bigger, but have, but like stay in bigger packs, but um, grow the, uh, what do you call it? The crest to make, to be vocal. While Struthiomimus evolved to be smaller, quicker, more agile. Yep. I mean, I, I would everything is everything is always trying to change to be better at hunting or better at evading. It's all survival. I mean, yep. Why why T Rex evolved to have tiny arms like that? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, do we do we still know the purpose of the tiny arms? Have we learned that yet? Is that something that's I, I've I've heard I've heard theory on it, I, which makes sense to me. They say that because you know its mouth was its primary tool, it its head and its mouth grew larger to be more effective, which added more weight, which made it more front heavy. So then smaller arms kind of offset that and took away some of that front weight. To make them more balanced, so as the head grew, as the head grew bigger, it made sense for their arms to kind of shrink, grow smaller. So I mean, like, I, I always have this debate: do do does something like a triceratops really have two legs and two arms, or does it have four legs? I think it would be considered as four legs. Because, because I think I think since it, it's always walking on them, that they're con- they, you consider those legs. You always think like I always think about that because it doesn't have like two sets of hips, but it has a set of hips and a set of shoulders. But it walks on all fours. Yeah. But something like a hadrosaur, where it has it, where it will walk on all fours, but run on two legs as its way of getting away. Would you consider that bipedal or quadpedal, quadrupedal? Uh, I think you would consider it uh, facultative quadrupedal. Like it doesn't have to be, but it can be. Or you can call it facultative uh, bipedalism. You know, it it can it can do either one, but it's not locked into one or the other. So, but. I mean, it's basically just like 
I mean, like, I guess bears are kind of the same way. Yeah. Because you get the whole thing where they stand on their two legs, but they will, you always see them walking and running on all fours. Yeah. So I guess we should um, address the idea of the Jurassic Park Velociraptor. Uh, mean Dinochirus? Uh, Dinochirus, the um, <laughs> yeah, the, well, because yeah. what what they used was not in the movie was not Velociraptor. Velociraptor is very tiny. I think. What's wasn't that? It, wasn't it based on Dinonychus? Oh, you're right. I said it wrong. Was Dinonychus? They all, yeah, like Dinosuchus, yeah, <laughs> Dino other thing, yeah, Dinonychus, yeah. But also, I was. That's weird that they would base it on Dinonychus, but not make it feathered. Because Dinonychus was actually the um, first dinosaur that challenged the theory of all dinosaurs just being reptiles. Yeah, but I, you got to think about back in 1992 when they were making the movie. Feathers on dinosaurs was like extremely controversial. Yeah, I mean they they had barely accepted that some dinosaurs would were warm blooded. It's it's another thing that might that seems like a weird evolutionary trait, but also makes sense. So I mean I guess and then I guess like after the film they had they discovered Utah Raptor. Yeah. So and then then they were just like that. <laughs> it's gonna be that. <laughs> yeah. So I mean I've been yeah. seeing a lot of new stuff about Dunkleosaurus. The armored fish. Oh, Dunkleosteus. Or yeah, Dunk. Sorry, Dunk. <laughs> Latin, not my, not my strong suit. Yeah. <laughs> the armored fish. Don't know why it's all blurry. So what? You want to talk about that a little? I mean, I don't really. I've seen that they I said don't... it might be smaller or something. Yeah, there is a paper that came out this year saying that it was. They believe it was the body was smaller than has been uh, envisioned in the in the past by the paleo artist because they they looked at the problem was we have the head we don't but we don't have a complete body because they you know they had a lot of cartilage so we find the bony head but not the whole, the entire thing. I mean, so they the kind of guesstimated based on, yeah. I think modern sharks is what they base the body dimensions yeah. from the skull. And then they found some other correlations. They say, well, this, this kind of fish is a better correlation. And so if we scale the body compared to that, then it actually made, made the whole thing smaller and a little chunkier than what we have traditionally seen. I mean, yeah, I guess uh, like the body isn't really preserved that well because fish bones don't, they're pretty hollow, aren't they? Yeah. They, yes. They and, and uh, grind away. Well, and uh, I'm not sure if this one was, uh, was a cartilaginous fish or not. So it may not have like actual bones to preserve like we're used to. Other than. You know, the, the, Giant Other than the, skull. yeah, 
which is I mean, weren't they also cannibalistic? So I I don't know. I I haven't seen anything on that. But you know, a, a lot a lot of things are opportunistic feeders. I mean, most mo- I'm sure it's just survival of the fittest. So that I mean, that's how most animals are anyway. So yeah, I mean, like sharks don't don't they eat their own babies if they need to? No, I think I've heard of that. Yeah, I thought like great white sharks will eat other great great white shark babies. So I mean. I don't see why something like a, a giant T-Rex, if it can't find food and it's just another baby T-Rex, I don't see why it wouldn't take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, it probably would have. They were also, uh, those large theropods also tended to be scavengers too, which is something that's. Right. Well, they they wouldn't give up a free meal if it's in front of them. I mean, yeah, I mean, you see a giant dead sauropod taken down by something bigger. I mean, chow down. Yep, exactly. <laughs> that The whole sauropod thing where they grow massive so other predators wouldn't kill them. But then you get just predators that are just going to hunt them. That's pretty insane to think about. So It's probably very similar to modern whales. You know, whales are so big that, you know... Nothing in the ocean can really take them down, but if they're if you've got young or sick, then that they would probably go after that. And when they yeah. find a dead one, then they definitely go after it. I mean, also, have you? Uh, there's a new thing about the um, Allosaurus about how they would kill. Mm, I haven't seen that. So apparently it's more like a hawk. So it would basically just pin pin you down and let you basically just struggle till you're exhausted and it would just like rip at your flesh while you're still alive. Hmm. Yeah. Which was really insane to think about that <laughs> a big old creature like that would just step on you and let you just slowly suffocate to death basically or exhaust yourself to death. This well, it would probably, probably be, a, be a safer way to kill prey for it also, because a lot of animals are very, very leery of getting wounded, because if you get a wound, you know, that that could kill you. So if they can take out prey with less danger to themselves, then I'm sure they definitely do that. I mean, to me, probably, I don't know about everybody else. One of the most famous examples of that is the, uh, the Allosaurus Big Owl, where it broke its toe or something and it couldn't walk. So it basically just had to roll over and die. Hmm. I mean, a major, yeah. wound to like, the foot would leave you open to other predators. It could get infected. You can yep. bleed out. Yep. So yeah, I guess wounds like that were, I've also seen something about cranial face biting during combat where, Creatures would aim for the face. Do you think that could have something to do with, like, I guess, their own form of some weird bio-warfare kind of thing where they bite you and wait for you to get an infection in your face and you can't see or your brain stops working? Yeah, it's a possibility. 
they, they'd probably be hoping for a quicker kill, but it, if you were if you were wounded enough that you're going to die a week later from it, then yeah, I'm sure they'd take take it either way. They'd probably just stop. I mean, like you could damage with Triceratops' back leg and it can't walk, but that doesn't mean it's defenseless. Right. I mean, it's still going to try to defend itself out of preservation of its own life. So, I mean, I guess the creatures would just stay out of range, wait for it to just die of starvation or thirst or whatever. That'd be an easy way for them to do it. I mean, honestly, it's probably one of the safest ways to do it. Just take out its way of transportation and just, if you can't take it out completely, just wait for it to roll over and die. Yeah, well, we we see that in modern animals, so I, I'm sure they did it too. I mean, hyenas do do that, don't they? They would like attack something and like damage it really badly, and then just kind of wait for it to just accept its fate. Mm, I'm not sure. I or they try to wait it out. Or something. Do Do you think that like because obviously the herbivore or a lot of these dinosaurs lived in packs they lived in pairs or packs or trios or something so do you think they had like like you look at like elephants where you have a leader of the pack that would kind of lead everybody and help everybody do you think they had some form of system like that well that'd be because that'd be speculation but it would I don't see why it's not possible. I've heard that like ceratopsians are kind of like that, where they would have one like big kind of alpha and uh, ceratopsian that would kind of lead everybody and protect the herd, basically. Well, it's certainly a good theory. I mean. Also, what do you think about the defense circle of the the famous defense circle of the Ceratopsians? Do you think that was like I I don't know. I mean it that seems to be something that would be like really effective. Yeah, it it seems like it would be effective. I I think it takes a, a certain type of uh pack mentality and pack behavior to coordinate that which you know there's you can argue whether they had developed that or not because i mean they they say that like stegosaurus is quote-unquote stupid because it had a small brain or like an area for brain cavity but was it really dumb or did it just like prioritize survival over like some sort of cognitive thinking uh that's that's beyond my study that i've done i mean like was it really like just a lizard brain bird brain kind of thing where it just (laughs) like i know how to eat sleep reproduce and that's it move to the next meal or was it did it really have some form of cognitive thinking that we're overlooking and i guess that's something that you can't really test because we already have like enough trouble testing the IQ of modern animals. So I couldn't imagine extinct animals. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I think they can look at the shape of the brain and they can kind of figure out like based on size of certain things, like how much of their brain was focused on smell or sight or movement, you know, things like that. But I, yeah. as far as cognitive, I don't know if there's any way to try and figure that out. I mean, I guess pack mentality or herd mentality or whatever you want to call it is kind of a trait that's in most animals to where they're drawn to their own. But I guess there are a few outliers. Like you look at something like Therizinosaurus, where I don't know if it would really have like a herd mentality. They seem like they would be alone. I don't think enough has been found on them to determine like, you know, the, the ones, the ceratopsians, you know, they have found evidence that they most likely did at least spend some of their time in herds or packs. But a lot of the fossils, we just, we don't have enough specimens of that we found to be able to determine, Oh, you know, we found, here we found nests of, and we know this is a Therizinosaur, and there's 50 nests here, so they had to have congregated, or we only ever find a single nest. Um, I think, you know, we need more fossils. Yeah. Was it like, we've only identified like over 900 species of dinosaur, but they're thought to be like thousands more? Like no yeah, I'm sure there are many that we'll never know because, you know, you have to have an area that's conducive to fossilization in order to create it in the first place. So you have yeah. to have a lot of, you have to have a lot of deposition. So anything that lived, you know, like in the hills or the mountains, all that is eroding away anyway. So even if they did fossilize somewhere in there, they, then they eventually eroded out. So you know, there's so many species that we'll never know I mean, what like, there was. Think about like all the like ocean dinosaurs that we will probably never know about. And even dinosaurs that were on Pangaea and then whenever the spot continent split, their fossils went into the water. I mean, it's not easy to excavate out of the ocean. And I couldn't imagine excavating in the middle of, like, next to the Mariana Trench. I mean, no, there there wouldn't there wouldn't be any uh, fossils there anyway. That that's too young of a rock. In the and the ocean mid ocean trenches, those are areas where the continents are splitting, and there's magma coming up and creating new rock, and it's splitting and pushing apart. So all that is way too young. Most of, almost all the fossils are going to be a lot closer to shore, but I'm sure there are a lot of them that are currently underneath the ocean closer to uh, continents that we haven't seen yet. And we, we may never see just because they're, they'd be so hard to get to. Yeah. So, of course, one of the craziest things that's, going on in the dinosaur world is the debate over Spinosaurus. The ever-growing 
Change <laughs> changed the evolution of what Spinosaurus looked like. Yeah. Well, whenever every time we find find more of them, we've got we find more evidence of what they probably look like. I mean, all the dinosaurs, what we think they look like has changed quite a bit over time. I mean, yeah. So who knows? We might find one that says it's like this species isn't really Spinosaurus and it's some or it it's some weird subsection of it and Spinosaurus was completely aquatic. I mean Yeah. I mean I mean there's like Beckley Spinax, which is just it looks pretty much like Spinosaurus, but it's like smaller, and that's the only real difference. Which is another thing yeah. that's kind of odd to me. That like I guess you didn't get like things like skull structure and certain bones you can look at and tell the difference, but like some species look like just another species but smaller. And it's like, how do you know that that's a new species and not a species we've already found that's just like a smaller or younger version? Yeah. Uh, some of that they can do with histo bone histology. But uh, yeah, I'm sure there were, there were smaller versions, smaller species and larger species of very similar animals. Does it mean like You get like the subspecies of different triceratops, but they're all triceratops. So, I mean, do you think there's like there that that could be something for like because I mean, you have things like Albertosaurus, like Gorgosaurus, and T Rex, and Tarbosaurus, and all these other Tyrannosaurids, but they all look like T Rex. So, I guess there is like a missing link between whatever came before T-Rex and Tyrannosaurids. Yeah, I'm, they've all got a common ancestor somewhere, most likely. Probably somewhere in China. Probably. That's another thing that I was actually, like, looking at. Like, fossils on, in, like, China are, they might be better, they're, like, better preserved because, like, the closer you get to the impact site, of the meteor, the famous KT extinction. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense that all the dinosaurs in that area would be more damaged and torn up and ripped apart. A giant rock hit the earth. I mean, that causes some damage. Yeah. It's also the, the environment where they were, where they lived and were preserved in. And China's just got some amazing preservational uh, areas. And, a lot of areas where there's a lot of weathering and where nobody lives. So, you know, they can just spend a lot of time searching out there in the middle of their badlands. Yeah. I guess they also, I'm sure that all the, uh, what do you call them? Paleontologists over there. I mean, there's a lot of China that's kind of not city. Yeah. And there, there's like you look at some countries where it's like France and Britain and Germany where they're very industrialized. So a lot of the fossils there are kind of lost because you can't 
dig up an entire city to search under it. But something like Russia or China or even like Mongolia and I guess America and like Canada where not all of it is industrialized and there's a large portion of land where these creatures where there it's like perfect conditions for fossilization so i guess that's where why we find a lot of fossils from there yeah yeah fossils are not rare fossil exposures are yeah well, i mean you can yep. yeah I, I live probably two hours from the coast so we don't find like the big hadrosaurs and the tyrannosaurids and triceratops here, but we find a lot of petrified wood and fossils, fossilized shells and crabs and things like that. So I guess it's just all in relation to where you are. Yeah. That's like, uh, I live in the middle of a Permian uh, deposit, but all there's, that's the top layer. So all of the Triassic and Jurassic and Cretaceous, all of that's been scoured away long ago. So whatever was here, we don't know about, but we had, you know, you can only see what you can see. And you can only dig so deep. So, I mean, yeah, and I guess there's no point in digging really 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 deep because i mean i guess all those fossils start somewhere true and i mean you i see these things where people are cracking over open like million year old geodes think about like the weird bacteria that's not necessarily fossilized but that's kind of preserved in that because they find like water in the geodes and i mean creatures live in the ocean <laughs> yeah i never thought about it i mean i mean like, what is it like the tardigrades where they don't need like an atmosphere to live they can just live out in space so why, why wouldn't some weird ancestor of that have been around and got trapped in some water in a geode somewhere and just now we're finding out about it and we don't really know. It's a good point. Yeah, you never know what could be there. I mean, there's, there's a lot that we'll probably never actually know about the prehistoric world, about even like prehistoric people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... A lot, a lot of it is just educated guessing based on the small, small amount of evidence that we can see. You know, we can see where they lived and we can kind of see their tools and their trash pits. So we kind of see what they were eating, but it's really hard to tell a lot about them. A lot of it is educated guessing. So, I mean... You're talking about what you can see what they're eating. You get like fossilized dinosaur feces. You call that copper light. Or, yep. Yeah. Copper light. And I mean, you can usually tell in like a modern animal whenever you look at the 
feces. You can see what they had eaten or residue of what they're eating. Do you think that there's some way to do that with copper light? Oh, I'm sure there is. I'm sure they there's they can probably CT scan them and see what's inside. And some of them, like you can see it on the surface. I have uh, copper lights from uh, Permian sharks, and you can see bits of bone and teeth on the surface of the copper light. So you you can see that that you know. Oh well, here's a here's a piece of K-Cops or here's a piece of this in it. So it was eating these other animals. I mean, I'm sure if you can do that with sharks, I don't see why you couldn't do that with like a dinosaur or copper light. Uh, I, I, I think they have. They have? Hmm. I, I, I think so. I, I think they've done some studies on some of them to see what all is, has been in some of them. Cause I mean, you get like prehistoric plants too, but I guess you can't really check out which plant dinosaurs were mainly drawn to from just looking at the plant. So, but I guess if you look at like Triceratops coprolite and you find, oh, this type of Triceratops like these ferns. So maybe Triceratops were where ferns were, and that can be like, well. Triceratops was there, then T Rex was there, and all, and you can probably find a lot just based on what random plants you find. But I feel like it'd be difficult to determine that. Well, difficult, but probably not impossible. Mm, yeah, I mean. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of species that we don't even, that we'll never even know about. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's some that there's simply nothing left of them anywhere that live for millions of years and we'll never know. I mean, you, you look at like a lot of these fish bones and modern bird bones. I mean, it's kind of amazing that we found something like Compsognathus or Archaeopteryx or these smaller dinosaurs and that we've actually found that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just crazy to think about that. Even with those like hollowed bones that those smaller creatures had that we've just still found them. That they're still there and we know about them now. Yeah, it takes a very special uh, preservational area in order for those. Usually, it you know something like a lake with a muddy bottom that where they could settle and be completely undisturbed as they were covered. Yeah, I guess any dinosaur that drowned would have been pretty well preserved. Yeah, I mean. And I guess the theories will keep going. I mean, one day we might even discover that they could have had a lot of fat on their body and now they're just some weird big blubbering thing. <laughs> you know, I mean... Yeah. Yeah. We, I know for sure that uh, his, the what we normally think of 
when we think of dinosaurs are probably not what they look like. They have a tendency to what they call shrink wrap, you know, wrap, and you can like see the skull structure, but that's not really accurate. Yeah. I mean, of course you can determine what its head would look like based on the skull. Like you look like a hadrosaur. Of course it's not going to have like lips because it has a beak. You're like, well, yeah, I mean the duck build, they got this weird duck build. They're not going to have this and this part's going to be exposed, but that also doesn't mean that like you're going to see the tight skin and you're going to see the weird hole around the eye and the hole behind the eye and even like on this allosaurus you see this part where it's kind of like the skin looks like it's tight around it yeah it it most likely had had more fat or tissue in there and would not have looked exactly like that i mean it makes sense i mean like you look at like a person as long as not starving to death i mean you can you can't really see the complete outline of their skull right and you can't really do that with most animals which is crazy to think about all the like tissue and fat and skin like that's like basically just gone and I guess if you find like bones of one dinosaur that was like eaten, like a T-Rex, I mean, it's not going to really pay attention to the small bone that it accidentally ate whenever it's chowing down on something. Do you think that that could be part of the reason we don't have any complete skeletons or we don't have a lot of complete skeletons? And I'm sure, uh, feeding behavior probably plays a lot in to do plays a large part in that because anything that died would have been eaten by something unless some really rare situation happened to get it immediately covered and covered in a way that didn't like break it apart as it did it i guess the uh kt extinction would have been one of those really rare things but also I mean, a big rock crashes into the earth. I'm sure it would have flung the dinosaurs away and, like, ripped them apart. And the ones right next to the impact zone are obviously gone. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to find a lot that's there because a giant rock smashed into the earth. It would be kind of hard to... They're like, hey, there was something. There's a, there was a sauropod here, and it's like, how, well, how do you know? A giant rock crushed it. <laughs> right. Also, have they like recovered that meteor, or is that? Just I, still- no, I, I don't think there's anything left of it. Like, they found, you know, the in the crater itself debris that is not typical of uh, earth rock. So they, you know, that's where they think it went to. Like it basically vaporized with the surrounding rock that it impacted into. Yeah, I mean, that would be a major play in that. Also, I guess erosion doesn't just 
I mean, I guess asteroids would erode too if they're on a planet. So I guess that too. Yeah. And that was millions of years ago. I don't see why a meteorite that was already or a meteor that was already burn burning up in the atmosphere that impacted Earth and like slammed into the ground and broke apart why all those parts aren't like just eroding somewhere. I mean, I guess it'd be hard to preserve something like that without special care on it. Uh, I think just the impact itself destroyed it. It yeah. basically vaporized and turned to dust, which is what we find in the KT boundary. That's why the KT boundary is identifiable because it, it's full of the iridium and all the other minerals that aren't common on Earth. Yeah, I mean, I guess whenever it slammed into the entire Earth, it broke up into millions upon millions of pieces and just flung around the planet. Most likely. I mean, that's probably how we got a lot of those minerals in the first place. I mean, the, the just... The concept that, like, these creatures were just... Because you say, like, 66 million years ago. 66 isn't a big number. And then you don't really have anything to, like, compare it to. There's nothing to compare that distance of time to. So it doesn't... You can say that to somebody, and it doesn't really sound like a lot. But, like, that is a lot of time. There's so much time between humans and the dinosaurs that we don't like actually full. I feel like that isn't fully acknowledged and fully understood. Yeah, it is deep time. There's definitely a whole lot that has happened in between. I mean, I, mean, I guess pterosaurs there'd be i mean their bones were definitely hollow because they were the ones flying around so i guess a lot of them weren't preserved yep mm. All right. where, where do you think the most like common place for pterosaurs to be found would be well, I, I know kansas has a few of them Kansas. I mean, I am. I don't know it, what other areas are. I know there's other areas that are producing them, but I'm not sure where. But yeah, they're they've been found a lot in the uh, what was the Western Interior Seaway and the the chalk deposits the that settled out of the ocean back then. They've they found quite a few pterosaurs. Yeah, so. I guess conditions for like something like a sauropod versus like a pterosaur would be vastly different. Like I feel like it would be and this just this could just me just be speaking to speak. I mean sor I feel like sauropod bones would be easier to preserve than the long thin structure of like pterosaur bird or uh Oh absolutely absolutely. I mean I mean, you look at like a sauropod, their bones are like so dense. 
and they're massive. I mean, you always yeah, the, they, like the they, they yeah, sauropod bones definitely can could withstand a lot of abuse and weathering. They could have probably laid out for decades and and still end up being fossilized without a whole lot of damage to them just because of the mass. I mean, you always see that famous picture of one of the one of the people who dug up the sauropod like leg and it, they're laying beside it and it's bigger than they are and it's like the just vast size of these creatures like <laughs> Argentinosaurus. Yeah. It was just so massive and it's just so odd to think about that. Yeah, they're way bigger than anything we're used to seeing and it it's it's impressive to like when you see the re- skeletons reconstructed in a museum just to stand there and see firsthand how big they are is impressive. I mean, yeah, and it's also so odd seeing like a dinosaur not compared to a person in size. So like, I don't know if you watched it, but the show prehistoric planet. Mm-hmm. You see these like big old sauropods and you're looking on TV just, and you have nothing to compare it to, but like another sauropod. And you're like, well, it doesn't look that big. And then they're <laughs> like, they'll show one dinosaur and they're like, this dinosaur is as big as a human. And you're like, Oh my God, the sauropod is massive. Yeah. It's so just ginormous and it doesn't like you you see these like images where they'll be like this is Brachiosaurus compared to Steve. Steve is 6 foot tall and you see like the Brachiosaurus is like f- like 40 of him tall and you're like I don't <laughs> it's just like hard to comprehend like the size and the time that these Creatures existed. Oh yeah, definitely. Also, it's odd to think about that the air quality would have been so much different back then, and that's why they could grow bigger. Yeah, I've heard that as a theory. Uh, I've I've heard it also be disputed, so I'm not a hundred percent if it was really the uh, oxygen content that allowed them to grow that big or not. I mean... I think it's as good a theory as anything. I mean, it could have been anything. It could have just been by, like, the luck of evolution that these creatures grew big like that. I mean, it, it could have been the smallest, most minuscule thing. Well, yeah, uh, you probably got stuff to do and people to talk to. So, all right. Well, hey, I, I appreciate having me on. It was good to talk with you. It was great talking to you too. I mean, it's always <laughs> just fun talking to just a fellow dinosaur lover in general. I mean, oh yeah. Yeah, anytime you get a couple of uh, dinosaur fanatics together, you can just sit there and talk for hours. There's always something to bring up, something to talk about. <laughs> yeah. A new theory that's being founded. So I guess I'll let you go. Have a good right. day. You too.
I'll definitely try to stay in contact with you. All righty. I'll talk with you later then. Talk with talk with you later. Definitely. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. So that was Jason from Dinosaur Fiend. I'm going to show his Instagram account one more time. Please go check him out. Please go give him a follow. He's got a bunch of amazing fossil content. Him in front of a metal T-Rex, which is absolutely crazy. He's got a bunch of crazy fossil content. Please go check it out. Please go support him. He's an amazing person. And just want to keep him around. Keep him motivated. Keep him doing what he loves. And remember to follow me as well on Instagram for content on the podcast. Remember to check out the Prehistoric Life podcast website that we got set up. And also the YouTube channel for early release content. So please go check that out and go support Jason. I'm your host, Eric Crawford, signing off. I'll see you all next time. Goodbye. And remember, keep it prehistoric.